You've messed up. You feel embarrassed. You know what you did was a mistake, and you own up to it. You say you're sorry, and even though you acknowledge it, the other person still wants to chew you out. They want to make sure that you know just how badly you've screwed up. It feels terrible, and you shut down. Our question this episode: What's the harm that happens when we shame the shameful? Welcome to episode sixty of How Can I Say This, where we look to build connection and community through courageous conversations. I'm your host Beth Bilo. Happy New Year! This is our first episode of 2020, and it's really good to be back with you after my short holiday break. I hope all of you had a break, and I hope you enjoyed your time with family and friends, or maybe you enjoyed some solo time, and you're ready to go and ready to make this new year one filled with peace and connection and courageous conversations. This episode was inspired by a post that I read over the break with the clickbait headline: "How should I tell people a shameful secret about my dog?" This was on Slate, and I will include a link to that article in the show notes on、um, howcanisaythis.com. The question itself was interesting. the The question that the person posed、um, to the columnist. But it was the response that the columnist gave that really got my hackles up. I'm not going to be talking specifically about the issue that the post brought up, that being the shameful secret about the dog. Although I will tell you what it is, but I'm going to focus more on the dynamics that played out on the page between the person asking the question and the person responding that we can all learn from. And before we go into our main focus, I want to remind you that you can visit howcanisaythis.com for more information about this podcast and for links to anything that I mention in an episode. From that website, you can also access past episodes. You can subscribe and find details about how to leave a review or offer feedback. And if you find this podcast useful and interesting, I highly encourage you to share it with a friend or a colleague or family member or all of the above. Um, the more people that have access to this kind of information and the resources that it offers, the more courageous conversations we're going to have in the world. And if you're a regular listener, you know that an occasional feature of this podcast is responding to listener questions about conflict, communication, connection, and relationship building. And I welcome your questions for inclusion in a future episode. You'll find the online submission form and other instructions at howcanisaythis.com. Okay. Let's get into this Slate article, and I'm just going to pull it up here because I want to、uh, refer to at least the start of the person's question.、Um, this was in、uh, Slate, and the column I think is called Beast Mode, <laughs> where they offer pet advice. And this is from September of 2019, and it starts out, "Dear Beast Mode, I have a pet store puppy." I know, I know. I'm someone who is involved heavily with animal rights, and before this, I would never have even dreamed of giving money to any organization like this. And then the writer goes on to talk about how they came to adopt this puppy and what the connection has been. And they go on to say, you know, I hated giving the store my money, but I've never regretted for an instant giving a stable, loving home to my dog. 
And they go on to say part of the the question and what led to that headline is they say I constantly get questions about where I got her from acquaintances, family, and even strangers at the dog park. I'm getting tired of explaining this long story every time in an attempt to justify buying her from a pet store. I know why it was bad, and I do what I can to mitigate that with volunteering and other work. And so they're asking, what's a polite response that they can use to avoid this、um, defensive mode, basically? And they also mention, I have social anxiety disorder, and the judgment I frequently get if I tell the truth is extremely difficult for me to deal with. It stays with me a long time after the conversation is over. Is this just my punishment for supporting a pet store, or can I avoid the issue with some kind of witty diversionary response? And when I told my podcast producer Paul that I was going to be looking at this question,、um, he said, "Well, one response could just be she's a gift from the the spirit world," <laughs> and I like that.、Um, there's something about it that's you know both true and、um, depending on who you're talking to, it might、uh, deter them a bit from digging further because they probably don't want to hear about. What you mean by spirit world? <laughs> But anyway, you get the gist of it. That this person is already feeling shame. They already know they did something wrong. They have this social anxiety, and the judgment that they feel stays with them a long time. And so the response that came back. They even signed their question "pet store penance." <laughs> so I don't know who else besides Catholics use the word penance,、um, but that tells you another layer right there that that person probably has that predisposed or kind of ingrained feeling of maybe guilt or shame、um, around certain choices or behaviors. So the the response that the columnist gave started out okay. You know, but but then it really quickly took a turn because they were saying one of the problems that we have in our society is that people don't feel shame, and oh yay, you felt shame, good for you, and so you know it's fine to acknowledge that somebody is feeling that way, but then. They go on to talk about. Well, they say I clearly don't need to explain to you that getting a puppy from a pet store is bad, but it's helpful to remind others why this is the case. And that's true, but then it goes on and on and on, and continues to not just shame the person who wrote the question, but you know, just about anybody who hasn't、um, adopted an, an animal from the humane society. Now, I'm not taking a stand either way on that. I have two beautiful pets that have been adopted from a humane society. And I try not to pass judgment on those who take other routes to bring a beloved animal into their lives. So this is not about that. This is more about the tone that this person struck in reshaming them. They even posted a picture of their own dog, and saying a gardener worth gloating about. They were saying like you're denying yourself the opportunity to brag about getting a dog from a rescue. You know. So anyway, it just struck me as just really、um, shaming <laughs> and really unnecessary. Since the person was asking for advice about how to respond to people, they weren't asking for somebody to reflect back to them and tell them how bad they screwed up.
And fortunately, other people uh, picked up on this because in the comments, you know, there were numerous people that said, well, I'm never going to write into this column again because I don't want to, you know, be on the shaming end of your responses and your judgment. And the people who responded were actually much more helpful in providing useful advice for this person. And one of my favorites was somebody who said that they went to their vet and said, I have a new dog. And just so you know, I adopted her from a a pet store. I bought her. And the vet said, well, you saved the life in front of you. And then she said, I never felt guilty again. I do not support pet stores but truly, our baby stood no chance of surviving. And so she's, you know, going on to talk a little bit more about her dog. That is a much more compassionate response. And it shows the power of seeing someone acknowledging that, you know, perhaps they feel guilty and letting them know that they're okay. Again, I'm not making a statement on this particular topic, but just in terms of how people respond to when we make a mistake. And overall, you know, it also brought up another story in my mind that I'll share in just a moment. But when somebody already knows that they've done something wrong and they feel guilt or shame or embarrassment about it, don't poke at it. Don't provoke it. Don't make it worse by shaming them all over again. Because at that point, when you're in that shaming mode, you're just doing it. I mean, you know, this is one possibility. You're just doing it to feel superior or to put that other person in their place. It's not about them. It's about you. If they've acknowledged it and they know it, what good does your continuing to berate them for it? What good does that do? I realized this early on in my relationship with my husband, and I I have a sense of deja vu that I've shared this story on this podcast before. Uh, So forgive me if I am repeating myself, but the story fits so perfectly. And it was really that light bulb moment for me. This was back in, I don't know, 1997, 98, before everybody had a cell phone and that we were texting and all of that. It was all before that. And I was picking up my husband from work, and I tend to be prompt and, you know, if we say five o'clock, it's five o'clock. And he has a looser relationship with time than I do. And one day he came down and it was maybe like 510, let's say, you know, whatever it was, it was 10 or 15 minutes late. And I was really, I'm sitting in the car and I can sort of feel myself getting increasingly tense and agitated. And um, so by the time he got into the car, I was ready to be like, you know, what's going on? You don't respect me. You don't respect my time. And he got in the car and he immediately said, I'm sorry I'm late. I know you've been down here waiting. XYZ happened and I'm sorry. And I realized as I listened to him that, you know, all of my frustration and anger would have been misplaced if I had taken it out on him again, you know, or if I had piled that onto him after he had already acknowledged that he knew that he did something wrong or that he made a mistake in some way, at least in my eyes. And so being able to let that go, like just breathe and say, okay, um, you know, thank you for acknowledging that. And I I think we even, it prompted a conversation, a very civil conversation, like, well, what can we do to not have this happen again in some way? Like, do I need to relax a little bit and not get so tense when he's a few minutes late? 
um, can he find a, another way to communicate with me? Or can he do something while he's sitting at his desk to help him remember to leave on time, not answer the phone at the last minute or not try to send an email or, you know, something like that. So how can we work together to avoid this in the future? It was a really powerful moment. And even though we're 20 some odd years later, I still remember how it felt. And I still try to practice that. You might ask, if somebody does something wrong, and it doesn't matter if it's work or personal or whatever it is, is there ever a time when it's appropriate to shame someone? Is it ever something that's going to be productive? And the short answer is no. (laughs) There is not ever an appropriate time to shame someone else. We think sometimes if we're shaming them, we might not use the word shame, but we think we're helping them. Like we're helping them by bringing their attention to their bad behavior to avoid future embarrassment and shame. But shame has the opposite effect. Instead of helping them to avoid it in the future, it shuts them down. It probably makes it more likely that they're going to engage in that behavior again in some way because they don't process it. They don't feel supported in it. They close in on themselves and it makes their vulnerability because that it really is vulnerable to make a mistake, right? It makes their vulnerability a weakness instead of a strength. And we know from the work of Brene Brown and others that vulnerability is a strength. And I would say, you know, Andy's vulnerability in that moment when he said, I'm sorry, I'm late, that was showing that he trusted me and that strengthened our relationship. And me accepting that apology further strengthened it. So now we have an increased ability to be vulnerable with one another because we're not afraid that the other person is going to shame us. And, you know, thinking about this question, is it ever appropriate? I thought, well, I better check. So I did a Google search, of course, and I found an interesting Psychology Today post that outlined some of the negative effects of shame. And they mention numerous things. They include it's detrimental to our mental and our physical health. You know, we experience increased risk of depression and anxiety and physiological symptoms that are you know, not not healthy for us. It causes us to get defensive, which can, by ripple effect, cause us to isolate ourselves. We can lash out and we can feel anger more readily. And shame is such a complex emotion that we see it as part of our identity rather than just a temporary reaction to something. So I'm going to link to the article so that you can read about that in more detail. But I hope just hearing some of those reasons gives you enough reason to avoid shaming others at all costs. As I mentioned, shame is a really complex emotion. It's not as fleeting as anger or hurt or frustration. There's a catalyst that pokes at it and and activates it. But it's something that's underneath. It goes back to our earliest experiences, and it drags up the gremlins and the stories and, you know, just about every embarrassing thing that's ever happened to us. And it's incredibly vulnerable. And so just as you wouldn't want someone to shame you, try to avoid shaming others. Now, This doesn't mean that you can't call someone out or hold them accountable, especially if they don't seem to be aware of the harm they're causing or the errors that they're making. You know, if Andy had gotten in the car and had acted as if, you know, nothing was amiss and I was still feeling anger, 
it's not healthy for me to hold that in either. But my intention and my hope is that I would be able to express that in a productive way, not in an angry, what's wrong with you, you don't respect me kind of way, but more, you know, it's it really bothers me when we say we're going to meet at a particular time, and then you're late. And I'm wondering, what can we do about that? And you know, that's one way that you can name the behavior without causing someone else more pain. And we've mentioned many ways on this podcast to do that kind of calling out respectfully yet directly. Other ways, you know, for instance, are saying something like, I'm not sure if you're aware that what you've been doing is resulting in problems. Do you have time to talk about it? Or it's important for us to keep track of what's happening and the way it's being done now isn't effective. And this is a work situation, obviously. We won't get accurate data if we keep this process. I'd like to talk about how we can make some adjustments. Now, I know those are very generic examples, um, very high-level statements, and they are rather formal. Um, (laughs) If you haven't guessed, if you're a regular listener, I have a somewhat formal way of speaking sometimes, and I trust that you can take that formality and adapt it to whatever situation is appropriate and put it into your own words. So even though those are, you know, rather generic and formal, you get the idea. You name the behavior or the action without judgment you say what the problem is, and you ask for a conversation. The bottom line is to notice when someone is apologetic or acknowledging that something they did was harmful or inconvenient or rude or otherwise unacceptable, to notice when that's happening. And if they know it, name it, and claim it, then there's really only one thing to do. Say that you appreciate that they're aware of the harm and that you know it won't happen again. Or in the case of my husband and me, I asked him how I could support him in being on time more often. Asking, how can you keep this from happening again? Or how can we keep this happening again? Is a non-judgmental and much more supportive tone that keeps ownership of the problem with the other person while still encouraging them to take action on the issue. Your call to action is a bit of a twist. I'm going to ask you to do a little role reversal because we've been talking about you refraining from shaming someone else who's been wrong. So this is the twist on the call to action. I invite you to be aware of times when you are in the wrong. You might not feel an emotion as strong as shame. You might have just made a mistake or you stuck your foot in your mouth or you were late or you forgot something. You know, it could be something very simple. Follow the advice of Dale Carnegie, and I know I've said this on the podcast before. If you are wrong, admit it quickly and emphatically. So if you are wrong, admit it quickly and emphatically, and then move on. Don't over-apologize. Don't try to explain what happened. Don't make promises that you can't keep. Just admit it, offer an appropriate apology if necessary, and then move on. Now, notice how the other person reacts when you do that. Do they rub it in? Do they make sure that you know just how wrong you were? Do they not accept your apology? If they don't move on, you can say, I understand that you're upset and I know what I did was wrong. Is there anything more that I can offer to help us get past this? Or is there something that we need to talk about? You know, just say, acknowledge that their feelings Reiterate that you know what you did was wrong, and then ask, where can you go from here? 
If they do move on and accept your acknowledgement, notice how that feels. In my experience, it feels um, the best word I can come up with is mature. It's like we don't feel a need to throw a tantrum, and I don't feel like I've been treated like a child who continually needs to be reminded of my mistakes. It feels adult <laughs> to be able to accept someone's apology and just be able to move on. And by letting it go, it shows that we trust the other person is sincere in their apology, and they'll do their best to do better next time. When you're on the receiving end of that kind of generous response, it's a huge relief. Now, when it's your turn to accept someone else's apology, remember that feeling of relief and be generous in giving it to the other person. This is Beth Bilo, and you've been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thank you so much for joining me today. Happy New Year, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously. 